0: John I'm part of the uh, church family our reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 starting to read at verse 12 and that's uh, page 1160 in the church bibles or it's 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12 on your smart devices now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who's equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent with from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenants read, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses has read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thank you.
1: Thank you, good morning, everybody. Great to be back at City, not least because it's nice and warm in this building. The last few weeks at East, we've been sitting in uh, gloves and hats and coats and scarves, trying to keep warm in the school. Um, hopefully, a little bit better today. Uh, will you join me uh, in prayer as we look at this uh, passage together? Let's try to keep that open before you, and uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your living word, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us the understanding. And we pray, Lord, that you please open our eyes and open our hearts and open our ears today, that we may listen attentively and carefully, and that, Lord, we may be transformed even this morning by the renewing of our minds for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I want you to try and imagine this morning the perfect Christian minister. Uh, Above Bar is currently looking to appoint a new minister and team leader. But imagine if we didn't need to go through this whole process of appointing a search team, advertising the job, uh, conducting interviews, inviting people to preach, until finally we get to the the big vote. Imagine if we could simply log on to findmeaperfectminister.com and we could enter the criteria that we're looking for and then up pops this polished profile of our ideal match. Or even better, imagine if there were an app where we get a number of potential matches and each church member can log on to the app and we can swipe right if we like them and left if we reject them. I need to stress, I do not use dating apps. I actually had to Google which way was which just to, just to <laughs> confirm, okay? But I wonder, what would your criteria be for the perfect minister? In preaching, for example, must spend hours in the study preparing preparing but always be available to take calls and respond to emails. Must deal with every verse in a Bible passage in detail, but never go a second over 25 minutes. Must be an engaging speaker who makes me laugh, but never be lighthearted or irreverent. Or must be gifted in pastoral care, out visiting the sick every day, but always free to support me whenever I have a need. Or must spend hours in prayer every day, but be at every meeting and event. Or must be a strong, confident leader who tackles difficult issues head on, but is completely humble and gentle and never upsets anyone. (laughs) Is that the perfect minister? Well, in today's passage, Paul defends his Christian ministry among the Corinthian believers. He certainly doesn't claim to be the perfect Christian minister, although he does minister as an apostle, a sent one of Jesus. That means that his words carry with them the weight and authority of the Lord Jesus himself. But Paul has faced much criticism for his ministry. Uh, You saw that last week, where the Corinthian believers were accusing Paul of being unreliable, planning to visit them one moment, then saying, no, no, sorry, can't make it the next. And in our passage, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul asks, you know, if he needs references, letters of recommendation to authenticate his ministry. In chapter 3, verse 5, he defends his competence in ministry, arguing our competence comes from God. And now, we're not apostles, of course, and one of the questions to ask in this letter is when Paul writes we, which he does quite a lot, who does he mean? Does he mean we as in the apostles? Does he mean we as in he and Timothy and others today set apart as paid elders and Christian ministers? Or does he mean we as in all Christians, all believers? Well, we could spend ages trying to decide that in this passage, but for the sake of time, I want to suggest that whichever we Paul has in mind in the various sections, there is a sense in which every believer is a minister of Christ Jesus. To minister means to serve people, to care for them, to share truth with them. And that's the calling of all believers. We're all involved in Jesus' great commission to make disciples, whether you're paid to do it, whether you do it in your day-to-day life, at home, at work, in your studies, or in your free time. And in defending his ministry, Paul helpfully gives us some clear marks of authentic Christian ministry, He helps us to see what good Christian ministry looks like and how it should be done, which is so important, brothers and sisters, because you don't need to spend long, do you, on YouTube or on Christian TV channels to recognize there is a lot of bad ministry out there, and a lot of bad ministers too. People who, chapter 2, verse 17, are out to peddle the word of God for profit. Retailers in the supermarket of fake Christian ministry, celebrity pastors, simply out to make money from unsuspecting people. So to help us tackle this passage, which we've headed up, the glory of the new covenant, we'll look at it under three simple headings. Here are three marks of authentic Christian ministry, three criteria by which to test every claim to Christian ministry, and indeed everyone who claims to be a minister of Christ Jesus. So first, chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, authentic Christian ministry exalts Jesus. Authentic Christian ministry exalts Jesus. I imagine many of us have had the experience of being presented with a very clear and obvious opportunity to share our faith or speak gospel truth, but for whatever reason uh, your mind is elsewhere or you're paralyzed by fear or something else is going on in your life and you fail to walk through the gospel door God has opened. Uh, I've had many of such experiences and the first actually happened in the very first few weeks of being a Christian. I was working for Bournemouth Borough Council and I was up in the staff canteen waiting to order some food and a colleague starts chatting to me and suddenly says something like Jonathan what has happened to you? You look so happy, so peaceful I guess I was a grumpy so and so before that but it it, it was like an an open goal I, I could kind of almost imagine the father in heaven saying go on my son, back of the net what did I say? Well, as a very shy 24-year-old blushing bright red. Something like, oh, yes, life's good. Life's good. Is that it? Well, I'm sure many of you have your own stories. But, you know, so does Paul. The exceptionally gifted apostle and evangelist. Chapter 2, verse 12. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. The apostle Paul walked away from an opportunity. Now, Paul's reason for taking that opportunity was more noble, way more noble than mine. He had no peace of mind because he was distracted by this strained relationship with the Corinthians, hoping that his co-worker Titus would show up with encouraging news from them. But notice, Paul does not dwell on the missed opportunity. He doesn't beat himself up over it. Now, his thoughts turn immediately to the God who is sovereign over the mission of his church and over all our stumbling efforts to share the gospel. Verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Isn't that encouraging? Take an opportunity to share the gospel or not and please, God, with the Holy Spirit's help, we will take more than we leave. But either way, God always leads his servants in Christ's triumphal procession. And even if we fail to speak for whatever reason, while the sovereign God still uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus wherever we go. Uh, Paul borrows a picture here from a, a Roman victory parade where after winning a major battle, military leaders would process through the streets of Rome with incense offered up to the gods. And right at the back, prisoners of war would be on display as proof of this great victory. And do you see Paul's place in Christ's triumphal procession? Right up front, we might think, with the VIPs and the influencers. After all, he's an apostle, a gifted evangelist. God's instrument in bringing countless people to faith, but no. Do you notice he's one of the captives? Now, this is a challenge to the false views of the Corinthians about what a Christian minister and especially an apostle should be like because they see Paul as a bit of a loser, really. Always struggling and suffering not a very impressive speaker. Paul says, no, I'm part of the victory procession, but I'm right at the back, a servant, taken captive by Christ, content to exalt Jesus. He's the victor, and he is my master. You remember what Jesus says to his disciples, seeking the places of honor, wanting to be first? You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you, must be your servant. So whatever gifts the Lord has entrusted to you or to me, whatever opportunities God may give us, great or small, to serve, let's always remember, we're only ever servants. And our task is never to exalt ourselves or to try and make a name for ourselves, but rather to exalt the one right at the head of the victory parade, the one whose victory was hard fought for on the cross and who now delights to lead his people in triumphant procession as evidence of his defeat of sin and death and Satan. And so as you go into work tomorrow, or uni, or you're at the school gate, or at your home with the little ones, or you meet with friends or neighbors, or wherever you are, if you're trusting in Jesus, remember God is leading you, parading you before those who don't yet believe. Verse 15, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So every time you smile, or you say a kind word to the person that others maybe reject or look down on, or when you refuse to engage in gossip, or when you work hard when others just simply can't be bothered, or when you take time to listen without judging, or you put someone else first humbly, well, every time you speak or act like Jesus would, you leave people with the fragrance of him. Oh, yes, some will hate you for it because they're perishing, but others will be drawn to Jesus because God is at work in their hearts, preparing them for salvation. And you know, over time, you will earn the right, verse 17, to speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Authentic Christian ministry exalts Jesus. Secondly, chapter three, verses one to six. Authentic Christian ministry impacts hearts. I hear Paul addresses this issue of references or. Uh, Letters of recommendation. Strange things, aren't they references? They can be worded very carefully by a previous employer with a a hidden message. Something like, You'll be very fortunate indeed if you can get this person to work for you. (laughs) Bit cryptic, or maybe not so much. But in these first six verses of chapter three, Paul turns all of this on its head by referring to a different kind of letter, another type of reference. So verse two, he says to the Corinthians, you yourselves are our letter. Verse three, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And this contrast between letters written with ink or on tablets of stone, clearly a reference to the 10 commandments and letters written by the spirit of God on the human heart, it runs through verses one to six. And Paul stresses that he is a minister of what he calls a new covenant, that is a new agreement from God about salvation. So verse six, he, God, has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. At the old covenant or contract that God made with his people Israel, after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt, you can read about it in the book of Exodus, the old covenant specified that in loving response to God's gracious rescue from slavery, His people were to fully obey the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone. That was their agreement with God so that they could enjoy life in the promised land. The problem was they were unable to obey the Ten Commandments because their hearts were hard and disobedient, in in the same way that today our natural hearts are hard, so we cannot keep God's law. Uh, If you're ever tempted to think that you can, well, just consider how you measure up to Jesus' summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the standard. Perfect love for God, perfect love for others 100% of the time. Not one of us can live like that in our own strength. And that's why Paul writes, verse 6, the letter kills because under the terms of the old covenant, disobedience leads to death. But in the Old Testament, wonderfully, there is an amazing promise of a new covenant in the future, one which has now come and one that will work differently. Uh, We see it especially in the prophecies of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Listen to what Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 31 verse 33, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people And this is why Paul is so eager to stress that he is a minister of the new covenant, not the old one. The Holy Spirit has now come and lives within every believer here this morning who trusts in Jesus. He writes God's word on our hearts. He creates in us a delight in God's word and a desire to obey him, to please Jesus as Lord. And so what Paul's saying really to the Corinthians is, look, you're the only reference needed to authenticate our Christ-exalting ministry amongst you. Just see how God is impacting your hearts, your inner beings, as a result of our ministry. Uh, Later in the letter, Paul will write about the so-called super apostles, people who are outwardly very impressive, amazing speakers, letters of recommendation and references coming out of their ears, not weak or suffering or struggling like Paul, focusing not on inward transformation, but on externals. And this is why Paul is so keen to defend his apparently weak and unimpressive ministry. So that the Corinthians, as he puts it over in chapter five, verse 12, can answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Do you know, brothers and sisters, the Lord is much less concerned about what you do for him or how successful you are in life and ministry, whether you're an upfront person at church or work, very visible or whether you're serving faithfully and quietly behind the scenes, in the background, and he's much more concerned about what is in your heart and what is in my heart. And you know, if God's word is being written on our hearts, if it's impacting the way that we think, our attitudes, making us inwardly more like the Lord Jesus, do you know what will happen? Our colleagues, friends, housemates, unsafe family, they'll begin to sit up and they'll take note that we've been with Jesus. And some will be drawn to him. They may even ask you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And for those of us entrusted with the responsibility of leading and teaching others, whether it's in a service as today or GSMA or a group or a ministry or as overseers, let's pray for grace to lead with gentleness, humility, integrity. Because although we're not apostles, the way that we lead and speak, the attitudes we display, they will leave an impression on people's hearts. And the result of our ministries will undoubtedly impact and influence the kind of letter that they will become to others from Christ. It's one of the reasons the Apostle Peter writes that leaders shouldn't lord it over people. That is, not lead in an oppressive way, but rather be examples to the flock. At our recent members forum, a number of us were there. And I think we saw our senior team set a great example for us of how to disagree over a disputable matter in a godly, gentle way. And It's so important because we tend to imitate our leaders. So harsh, arrogant leaders will produce harsh, arrogant followers, but humble, gentle leaders will cultivate humble, gentle followers. Authentic Christian ministry exalts Jesus, impacts hearts, and finally, authentic Christian ministry transforms lives. Now this final section is rich and complex and worthy, I have to say, of a Sunday probably all to itself. In fact, the renowned Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones preached for 50 minutes, five zero minutes, on chapter 3, verse 18, alone. To which I imagine some will be thinking, oh, those were the days. (laughs) And others, wow, I'm glad he wasn't my minister. But when time is limited and you want to get to the heart of a passage like this, it often helps to look for recurring words. If you just glance through quickly this last section with me, you'll see it's dominated by the words glory and glorious. So they come in verses 7, uh, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11. And then glory, notice, comes twice in verse 18. Now, the glory of God is the weightiness or the heaviness of God, his very essence. Uh, the word carries the idea of the awesome, dazzling light that radiates from God's presence. The very light that shone from Jesus, remember, on the mountain when he was transfigured or gloriously transformed. So we're told his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. The glory of God is associated with his great acts of power, with the splendor and majesty and honor and praise that are all due to his name. And the essence of Paul's argument here is that God's glory is supremely seen not in the covenant God made through Moses, Glorious though that was, but rather in the new covenant ministry, entrusted to Paul and to the other apostles and through them to us today. Paul wants us to see that the ministry of the new covenant of the Spirit, which exalts Jesus and impacts hearts, is vastly superior to the old covenant. Why? Well, because it does what the law and the old covenant were never able to do. It supernaturally transforms lives. You notice he argues for the superiority of the new covenant on three counts. First, verses 7 and 8, the ministry of the life-giving spirit is more glorious than the ministry that brought death, with letters engraved on stone. Secondly, verse 9, the ministry that brings righteousness is more glorious than that which brought condemnation. Thirdly, verse 11, the ministry that lasts forever is more glorious than that which was transitory or temporary. And if you focus for a moment just at verse 10, Paul summarizes his argument like this. For what was glorious, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai when God's glory was reflected off the face of Moses and the Israelites couldn't stare at him. But what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Now what is the surpassing glory? What can be more glorious than Moses on Mount Sinai in the presence of God? Covered in a cloud of God's glory, Exodus 24. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, we're told the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And then in Exodus 31, God gives Moses the two tablets of the covenant law, and we're told they were inscribed by the finger of God. What can surpass that for glory? How can you beat the giving of the law for drama and visual impact? Well, the better question is, who can surpass that for glory? Apostle John gives the answer at the start of his gospel. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. If you want more glory than the finger of God writing words on tablets of stone, look to the very word of God, Jesus, becoming flesh, making his dwelling among us therefore writes paul verse 12 since we have such a hope we are very bold don't ever be ashamed of the apparent weakness or ineffectiveness of the christian message or the unimpressive nature of those of us who preach it we can't compete with the huge crowds in a football stadium we can't match the appeal of the the great rock concerts or the blockbuster movies with their multi-million dollar budgets But you know, when you share a word of gospel truth with someone, or when you tell your own story of how Jesus has and continues to transform your life, even if you stumble over your words, well, it's a bit like throwing a stick of dynamite to a sleeping world that is dark and dead and lost and in desperate need of the words of eternal life. Often the dynamite is very slow burn. You know, like in those old Tom and Jerry cartoons? I watched one this week, actually, just for research purposes. <laughs> A stick of dynamite in, in, in Jerry's mouth, just slow burn. But be in no doubt, brothers and sisters, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power, the, dunamis, the dynamite of God for the salvation and transformation of everyone who believes, even the most unlikely of people. The background to these final verses 12 to 18 about Moses and the veil is found in uh, Exodus 34. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of stone, having spent uh, 40 days and 40 nights in the glorious presence of God, and his face is radiant, glowing with the glory of God. And The Israelites are afraid to come near him, and so he puts a veil over his face, which he removes whenever he enters the Lord's presence to speak with him, we're told, face to face as one speaks to a friend. And Paul uses those events to illustrate what it's like today for an unbeliever to hear or read the word of God. Don't be surprised if sometimes people look at you with blank faces when you try to teach and explain the Bible or share the gospel. That's sometimes my experience on a Sunday. It's a joy to preach here at Above Bar because you're an engaged and attentive congregation, but it's not unusual to look out and see a few confused or quizzical looks too. Usually one or two have nodded off as well, but that's another story. But you know, I don't get too discouraged because end of verse 14, only in Christ is the veil taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But listen to this, verse 16, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And that's why I continue preaching and teaching because I know the spirit of God is at work among us. And verse 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is freedom from the condemnation of the law that leads to death, freedom from slavery to sin, freedom to live as God intended me to live, for his glory. As we turn to Jesus, the blindfold is removed and we begin to see more clearly. The Holy Spirit creates faith in Jesus, brings new life, and then begins to write God's word on our hearts. And so this wonderful process of Christian transformation begins. Now there's no doubt in verse 18, which we, Paul means, he makes it very clear for us. And we all, that is everyone who has turned to the Lord and had the veil or blindfold removed, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Oh, how I'd love 50 minutes on this verse. But in 50 seconds, note the deliberate contrast between the temporary glory of verse seven and verse 12 and the ever-increasing glory of verse 18. The face of Moses reflected God's glory to the Israelites for a while, but then it faded away. But if your trust is in Jesus Christ this morning, you are being transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. And you know, when Christ appears again at his second coming, that process will be complete. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So this is authentic Christian ministry. This is what we should pray for earnestly in those who minister to us and those who will minister to us in the future. It's what we should all strive for by grace as we all minister to one another and to unbelievers whose hearts are still veiled. Oh, please God, that Above Bar Church will always excel by grace in ministry that exalts Jesus, impacts hearts, and transforms many, many lives, all kinds of lives from all kinds of backgrounds, both here in Southampton and around the world. Landry.